0: Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Bria Felician, the creator of the Black Sportswoman newsletter with new features on Brianna Scurry and soon Crystal Dunn. We've had some great guests lately, including Ivan Gazidis, Semra Hunter, and Lutz Fahnenstiel. I also encourage you to check out my podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story. All eight episodes are out, and you can binge all of them to your heart's content. Now, here's my interview with Bria Felicien. Our guest now is Bria Felicien. She's the Atlanta-based creator of the Black Sportswoman newsletter, whose mission is to amplify the stories of Black women athletes in sports. She's also the managing editor of The Next, a women's basketball newsroom. And she has written about women's soccer for The Equalizer, 538, SB Nation, and The Black Sportswoman, including a terrific recent story on the U.S. women's national team legend Brianna Scurry. Bria, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super, super excited. Lots to talk about here. I, I, let's start with this Brianna Scurry story. I, I really liked it. I remember writing a, a magazine story about Bride during the 99 Women's World Cup uh, the week before they won it all. Um, and there are some things in your story that I didn't realize uh, until reading it that Scurry is writing her memoir for publication in 2022 and a few other things. What were some of the main takeaways you got from doing that story on her?
1: I think. Oh, well, by the way, I did. I used your story for research, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> awesome. But I think the biggest takeaway was, one, I'm glad people notice and realize that bookstores and people are missing her story told in full. Mm-hmm. And I I realize that even more now. Um, the other thing was her perception and in, in public about the you just go on YouTube and soccer women's soccer comments aren't necessarily the best but specifically about her and mm. noticing that she she noticed this too but she didn't feel comfortable saying anything about people always bringing controversy to what should have been her success what was everyone else's success except hers in um in a way that it should have been and i, I i'm a i am read youtube comments <laughs> and mm. there were even some people were like um the Chinese keeper was off her line in the same way like why are you not saying anything but I thought that was fascinating and a little depressing um because it happens to a lot of black women athletes but I think it was just shocking to me to see the contrast of how everyone else on that team is celebrated and how she is when she has the same amount of confidence um and she also made me think of things I just recently interviewed Crystal Dunfer's story that's coming out um And she was like, you know, I'm curious because I asked Brianna about her drive and how she was able to get become so successful um, at such a high level. I mean, I can't even imagine. And she was like, you know what? I want to know about these things, too. So there's things that people don't know that are also in the same industry because no one's asking. I mean, part of it is the women's sports coverage in the media industry in general is just hard to come by a lot of us doing this like I have a full-time job that's uh not sports reporting it's just hard in general and we all have different perspectives but if more people can do it um more stories like hers can be told too so
0: how are you able to do all this then if you have a full-time job other than sports reporting And, and what is that by the way I'm just curious
1: oh podcast producing for a newspaper but it's just the industry is (sighs) <sighs> but I'm tired. <laughs> it's harder. I think I do honestly feel like I had like a, a panic attack, a moment last year, 2020 um, after the challenge cup or toward the end, it was definitely during the WBA season. I was like, normally I can keep up this pace, but I think mm-hmm. because of the pandemic and everything, I was like, ah. and then starting my own publication. I didn't think it was going to be a publication. I thought it was going to be, just like a project of, you know, something to fill my time. Like I didn't have all these other things to fill my time, but I'm tired. But honestly, what (laughs) motivates me is the stories. It really, sadly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, this Black Sportswoman newsletter that you've started, where the the Brianna Scurry story is, how did you get the idea to start this newsletter?
1: So maybe 2019, I kind of felt like I felt this way a long time like 20 I went to LSU I cover I've always loved women's basketball I got to cover soccer there too and I really always had opinions about women's I have so many opinions about like women's sports coverage and all this stuff and the way athletes are talked about but in 2019 I was like I feel like my perspective needs to be as a black woman needs to exist but I didn't know what format and then 2020 um, after the ch- during the challenge cup, I wrote this story on Jennifer Cudjo and about how she was in the stands the year before at the NWCL Championship and tried out, was calling on the teams, tried out for the Sky Blue, and now she's on a contract. She a T uh, Louisville picked her up, and now she's back with Sky Blue. And that story was referenced on the broadcast, and that's when I knew I should be doing this because nobody else is nobody else interviewed her before I talked to her and she was able people were able to understand her at least that first with that first story because I interviewed her and that was when I was like okay I think I need a publication and then when um the WBA season started and then everyone was talking about Sabrina Inescu and everyone was mad about all the coverage and um people have valid concerns but we can't the conversation just can't really happen on Twitter. <laughs> it just, you can't, it's just, it was. it's much more complicated than just one person versus another person. So mm-hmm. that's when I was like, it's time because we're all just annoyed. It's time.
0: <laughs> and this Crystal Dunn interview that you've recently had, is that for the Black Sportswoman or is that for a different platform?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's for the Black Sportswoman. And what I'm really aiming to do with this is kind of, I made when I when I when I decided on my questions I decided what is she not asked about or what is she asked about the most and I tried to avoid that so I didn't ask her about you know kind of being the face of like you know diversity or asking her about like what is it like to be a black women's soccer player though it did come up and especially about her passion for like advocating for other black women in soccer but I asked her about like her personality and she likes to read um like uh like mystery and crime novels and Jane Patterson novels. And then, um, of course, she talks about the chickens.
0: which <laughs> <laughs> She posts all the time on her social media, which is awesome.
1: And apparently, she's always looking outside and making sure they're not too hot or too cold and like stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to make sure I, I did a lot of interviews. So I, I was a part of this boot camp with Google News Initiative and like Local Lion, which is like a local news initiative for small publishers. Mm. And I interviewed a lot of fans and sports fans. And they were just like, I just want to know the basics about these players. And I want players to talk. Just I wanna know what they've done, what they're like who they are. I wanna find out how can I support them. Just basic information. Um and this is about uh, the number one requested interview was Crystal Dunn. So that's why I hmm. made that happen so quickly. <laughs> but people just want to interview about just wanna to know about them as a player, them Mm -hmm. as a person in the same way everyone else is covered. Um, And that kind of came, I had, I kind of, um, well, I love the stands because they helped me a lot in my research for the publication, but it's so interesting how all the fans and stands have the same perspective, like in 2019. So Alex Morgan, Crystal Dunn, Megan Rapinoe all have the birthday in the same week. And Mm -hmm. during the World Cup, Two of those birthdays were celebrated and Crystal Dunn was celebrated a little bit, but to the magnitude, it just wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. And then you saw that Forbes article, you put that in the contrast of what she was doing, playing out of her position, but defending the best forwards in the world It's just... It's, we notice it, and I get affirmed, I get validated every time someone else talks about the same thing that has been bothering me. But we're much more, I feel like as a whole, we're all much more vocal than we were in 2019. So that's mm-hmm. why I think it was just the perfect time to launch the Black Sportswoman.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I'm curious to know what your take is on Crystal Dunn. I mean, it's pretty clear. I did a story on her for uh, right before the 2016 Olympics. Uh, And, you know, there was kind of an obvious story that I I hope I built on a little bit, but like, uh, oh, you know, she was the last cut, essentially, from the 2015 World Cup winners. By that time, she had earned a starting spot on the U.S. women's national team. Um, And she had been the MVP of the uh, NWSL, and, and she was kind of, that's what we knew her as. But even in those days she was not as outspoken a, a, about a number of things, including Black Lives Matter, as she is now. Um, and, I, and I guess I'm wondering like, how, you, you mentioned this a little bit, Like, how do you balance the coverage of she wants to talk about this stuff more often with we don't just want to hear from her only on BLM?
1: I think with this article that I'm doing, I talk about it. She talked, she actually talked about it too, um, because she said she was just trying to survive and like have a career on the team at all at that point. And Mm -hmm. then now she feels more stable. Just she feels secure. She knows what she can do. And then before she was trying to not only get on the team, but trying to remind herself not to change, to conform, to get back on the team. But, um, she said this year she wants this the year to be this to be the year of the black woman in soccer and she said she told that to the black women's players collective who I'm, I'm also doing a story on them but that's not going to be for the black uh, sports women but I want to plug so you know we nice. can follow where we can be but I think for me in terms of the coverage that I'm trying to strike is um, talking about all of it. And Mm -hmm. I think part of it is when you have more coverage and more people with different perspectives is it is not if I'm if I'm working on stories about these people all the time. If I'm talking about Lynn Williams, like getting this big contract extension, if I'm talking about um, Simone Charlie or someone, then whenever it is time to talk about Black Lives Matter or like some traumatic thing, then it's not as jarring to the players and the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, cause I, my first soccer story was about what it's like to build a career, a soccer career as a black woman in America. And the second soccer story, which was like a year later was about starting a tra- challenge cup during all of this trauma basically for black players. And that's, mm-hmm. I still am annoyed that I did that because I talked to Taylor Smith both times and mm-hmm. at the end of the call, I was like, you know what? Um, I told her and she noticed too. She she did notice, but I told her, I was like, you know what? Next time I talk to you, it will not be about black trauma. And she was like, yeah, because like she noticed. And I still, I know it's, you know, I have to move past it, but that's still something that I'm annoyed that I did.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think if I'm writing about these people all the time, when we come back to these hard subjects, traumatic subjects, really, it'll be better.
0: I mean, I'm curious to hear what you're, answer is to this then because like i don't feel like it's on black people to educate white people about black lives matter or any of the issues connected to it but how do you feel about when you're asked about that yourself to have an opinion about stuff like that
1: like me as a reporter
0: yeah or in this interview right now
1: (laughs) So this is interesting because I am, so I went to journalism school even though I was a PR major, I did all that stuff Mm -hmm. and through my experience, I feel like my, I prefer my perspective over my opinion to shape things. Mm -hmm. So like my perspective will shape the questions that I ask players versus me writing it, because I don't want necessarily to write opinion articles. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of like the education part, I have I personally don't want to educate anybody either. It's like I do, but I don't, because it's like everyone wants to listen now. But then also, I am so exhausted, and I've been learning a lot of, about my family history in the last, like interviewing my grandma and like other people in my family, and it's kind of tra- traumatizing, and sure. it's just kind of like, it's kind of like you kind of lose hope when you realize like history is always repeating itself. So. That's actually, I don't know, I'm torn, but I know there's a lot of other people that are okay with educating. And Mm. I think, so you know what, There's a great example because um, I wasn't, actually, you know what, actually, I'm okay with educating um, if it's, I'm okay with, I am not, I will say like as a blanket statement, everyone is not okay with educating and I'm okay with that. But I think if it's a personal relationship, I'm okay with educating. Okay. Because if it's like, it's worth my, my energy and my time, I will, I will allow that because it's more like educating on the internet. It's like, I feel like people just want to argue and stuff like that. But I feel like if it's on a personal level Mm -hmm. and it's like my really close relationships and people, especially if I'm defending someone else's like, (laughs) like life or something, like, especially Mm -hmm. what is, if it's not like about me. I feel like I'm okay with that because it's like life or death a lot of the times. But I think in, in general, as like a general idea, no. But that's something, is, I think it's also a case by case basis.
0: Let's take a quick break from our interview with Bria Felicien and I'll ask you a question. Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga, France's Ligon or Copa Libertadores and get frustrated because they're not available on your cable or satellite system? you should try a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z, and you can watch all the action from La Liga, Liga 1, Copa Libertadores, and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, a tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina. Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports and English and Spanish, Gold TV and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to fntz.co slash grant fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. You know, one thing I know that came up in the past year is in just sports media. And the question I asked, other people asked, how many black women are writing about soccer in the United States? And there aren't many, as you know. Um... There's you, uh, Jada Evans in Seattle. Uh, Erica Ayala does some soccer writing. Uh, Courtney Stith is doing some good work. Uh, she has a new podcast with Andre Carlisle called Diaspora United. But there aren't many black women in who are writing about American soccer. What needs to happen just to make sure that more black women have the pathway to write about soccer here? I think something that I've come up
1: against like a million times is just assuming that we're not smart enough to cover soccer or cover anything really it's in the sports it's so frustrating I can't tell you how many times I've written a story at a place that I've worked in they were surprised that it was good and Yikes. I it's so frustrating because there's some something like you or people that I don't even work with will acknowledge like you know my talents way more but like I know I'm talented and I know editors are also amazing but (laughs) it's just except just giving people a chance and just like not assuming something about them um and supporting them once we get there but also just the big thing is having paid opportunities like paid opportunities that are they're, they're not underpaid they're well Decently paid to well paid. Honestly, I would love well paid if I'm being realistic. But I, I like you. Like we were talking about, I have, I've ever since I've been in the journalism industry, since I graduated in 2014, I have had at least two jobs. Ever like this is this is going to be my seventh year, and it's just it's not sustainable. But you know, the only reason I am still here is because media shapes everything. And if it didn't shape everything, I would just. Honestly, I don't know what I would do, but I, it would go to I would go into an industry that was paid better <laughs> and was a little less chaotic at all times. But it's I would I just would love to. I have a dream. My dream is to write for the New Yorker. It used to be to write for Sports Illustrated, and but the New Yorker is the one that stands like forever. And if I if there was a pathway to get it, I, I think I would. At this time or like in the next five years, I would have to be able to write full time. You have to be able to focus on things. So, yeah, I think just being able to pay people well, because a Mm -hmm. lot of people are everyone's different. Everyone has some people have families to take care of. They have to take care of themselves. I have to move. So I'm from Louisiana. So I wasn't offered my first full time media job until after. I left because they were only keeping me hard time. So you mm-hmm. have to move. There's just so much money involved, and if if we can get paid, <laughs> we can stay.
0: <laughs> I mean, you cover different sports. What do you like about covering soccer? And and are there particular types of soccer you like more than others?
1: I don't even know. I can. I don't know why I started liking soccer, but I did in high school. I just decided, I just didn't play what do I like? I don't know there, so there's a few things I like about it um, I know this is not I love the tech. I love the technical I'm not a tactics person Courtney is my tactics person and okay. I love her for this <laughs> um, but I like my the number one thing I like about it is the international level there's Soccer, it really is the global game. I used to think it was basketball. Like I, I, le- I literally studied Chinese in college because I was like, I'm gonna work for the NBA. And soccer is definitely like the more international <laughs> game. Um, that's the number one thing. I love the. I love that this is the first sport where I feel like even if people say all the awards go to the forwards and the people that score, it is truly a team sport, and mm. I love. I love that like i love def like i love defense and i love that like real you know real soccer fans No, but like people that really like watch the game can s- give credit to the defenders like i feel like no well none of the sports that i watch which is like basketball and soccer um so but ba- it's not like that with basketball like defenders kind of get credit but like someone can score 40 points and just decide the game like LeBron or like even tennis is so individual, but soccer is really like, I'm a big community person, mm-hmm. especially cause like I grew up moving around and stuff. I, I love that. And I love defenders and I love, Oh, Oh, my favorite part of the game is one V ones. I think Casey short is the best at defending them. And yeah, I was just like, Oh wow. I just, I love it. And I don't understand <laughs> why. Um, especially like I didn't know about it until high school really like i didn't know Mm. about the game so that's why i just i love it so much
0: (laughs) that's awesome i mean like you say that you grew up in a lot of different places where where all did you grow up
1: all in louisiana southern louisiana but okay different schools in my high school is like the only place i think i was there for like four years Mm -hmm. and i i played basketball but i didn't play soccer because it was like a tense Situation, And I was like, I didn't want to be the only black girl on the team. I just, I, by the time I decided I wanted to play, I was like, it's too late. I, Uh I'm, I just cannot do this. But when I got to college, I got to cover fun facts. So the first time I applied to work at this school newspaper, I was told I didn't have the personality to cover (laughs) sports. Uh So I applied again Uh because my mom says I have a lot of confidence. So I applied again and I got it and I got to cover women's soccer and watching, Texas a and and Florida were always the best. And LSU was okay to... Not that great, depending on the year. But the those games were super physical. Like, I know everyone's like, America's too physical. And, like, Europe is tactical, blah, blah, blah. But that still was, like, very, very fun to me. Like, that, that experience, like, going to all the games, going to practice, waiting outside the locker room, and, like, trying to talk to people before class. That's just... Yeah. If I that's just I'm all excited, reminiscing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: would you would you say I mean obviously you have an interest in women's soccer, would you say it's it's greater than your interest in the men's game? Or are you also into the men's game?
1: I'm into I think it's greater, but I think that's because where I started. Men's is starting to grow on me. Um so I started watching the Premier League maybe like twenty six 17 cuz my husband he's from St. Lucia and he's always like Chelsea and Drogba and all of them and I was like what is this always on the TV at, on Saturday mornings I'm like what 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 is going on so then maybe a, a couple of years ago I started Watching, you know, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. I hope you... People are going to... Everyone has strong opinions about Premier League clubs. So I started watching this video about Sadio and Naby. They were speaking in French. And they were just having this emotional moment. And Sadio hit Naby's phone after one game. And I was like, wow. I love these people. So I became a Liverpool fan, kind of. Because if them goes anywhere, I'm going to support him there. But <laughs> I it's definitely the women's game is definitely stronger because I feel like it's just it's just women's sports is just different one it gets less coverage but if I watched um it was like coaching series on Netflix it was Jose Mourinho and then Dawn Staley right after it you can see mm-hmm. the clear contrast between men's and women's sports there like the celebrity and the even, I will admit it was entertaining. I didn't know he hid in the locker room and all his stuff, <laughs> but I just—that's the difference that like breaks it for me. Like if I, well, I definitely love women's sports way more. It's like a passion at this point. But yeah. um, that's the difference to me, and I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a social scientist or like all those things, but there's a different, is a clear difference that breaks it, but one thing I wish women's sports would do more are those videos like Liverpool and Barcelona, like all those clubs do online Mm -hmm. to attract emotional fans Mm -hmm. (laughs) like me. Because I was like, these people are so awesome. And then it's also more men's... Globally, the game is more diverse, but I think that's a lot more, at least at the highest level in the men's side. Mm Because even in the WSL, it's like very very drastic difference between the Premier League and I know there was a shift in the Premier League, but I'm very interested in seeing when that shift happens in the WSL because they're like shake I don't know who's the best league, but they're definitely in the top top mm. tier in the world. So
0: <laughs> we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, which is ahead of the Australian Open Tennis semifinal between Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka. Both of them happen to be part owners of NWSL teams. What do you see as the potential influence being of having Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka being involved in NWSL ownership groups?
1: You know, the first thing that excites me is the the fact that players, athletes in general, are investing in the league because that screams to me like stability because i feel like as an athlete they understand things or they're they care it and it may not be true but it's just like the way i view it it just it seems like they would care more they wouldn't sell a team as quickly as someone who's kind of like in it for strictly business or bought the team strictly for you know that reason that's mm-hmm. why angel city honestly having so many owners in Angel City was the exciting part as well because I just it just screams stability to me and I never thought like you know I'm an optimist but I never thought like the NWSL had any like you know I I wasn't one of those people that were really scared when players were going to play at Manchester City or anything like that I've always felt like it was it's like everything is fine but seeing that one screams stability but two I think it's going to attract many other people because Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams have to be the most if not top five most popular athletes like in general right now. So I that is so exciting. And I think I think they silenced a few of, you know, like the doomsayers. At least Mm. maybe and if you're a doomsayer, maybe you just wrong that want to be (laughs) mad. But I don't know. It's just so exciting. I was honestly shocked when I'm like and then North Carolina courage, that's so funny to me. (laughs) Because everyone you know everyone's like the courage why and that just makes it funnier to me i just i am enjoying it so much
0: (laughs) (laughs) the she believes cup is starting this week with the u.s women's national team in it hosting it recently we've seen about half the u.s players kneel in support of black lives matter during the national anthem and half the players not kneel what do you think of the implications of that Just sort of what what are your personal thoughts on that the
1: first thing that it makes me think actually it makes me think of two things and one of them we already talked about but the first one is it makes me wonder what the conversations are like are the players okay with this or the what are the the black players okay with this are the are there conversations being had like is this representative of the way people feel about black lives mattering have people said that they believe that you know black lives matter what are they doing behind the scenes in the second question and i haven't been on a lot of, you know, the the press conferences and stuff for the national team, but are people asking um, players how they feel about this or asking players what their conversations are like, especially white players,
0: because
1: Mm -hmm. black players have said these things. They've said, especially the Challenge Cup, they said how they feel. Are we asking and or challenging white players in the same way? Because um, they're the power holders. Like I asked Um, I haven't asked Lisa Baird about kneeling, but I did ask her about like, how are, how is the NWSL supporting black players? Because they said they don't, they started a whole collective (laughs) to have support. And I think that, I feel like challenging is such a strong word, but I feel like that kind of challenge is necessary for also the white players because they have the power they are the majority in the league and how and on the national team really how are they are they supporting their black teammates and why are they doing something that's opposite of them is this basically what's going on and is this a representative of a divide and not necessarily supporting players because it may seem to a lot of people like it's just symbolic but having like people wear Team USA gear to a Capitol riot or to on their way there that's it's all connected it's not just you know about kneeling and representing the USA like representing USA has its own complications <laughs> for black people so I'm just very interested in what the players have to say and like I was saying um I that's another reason why I kind I'm really glad I started at newspapers because you're not allowed to have an opinion and then I realized I would prefer my perspective to shape the questions but also yeah but also I would really like I don't know I want the industry to kind of be more like that Mm -hmm. in terms of like um, talking less about players or something and asking them the questions because I think a lot of people assume what white players who are standing think, and I know there's complications sometimes players aren't allowed to speak or brought to media, but I think if we ask, I think it would just, I think it will move us farther along because mm. I'm only 28 and I'm tired. I can't imagine how like people older than me are. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In terms of this tournament itself, you've got an Olympic year. We're still fingers crossed that the Olympics will happen this year. Um, what, are some of the most interesting stories with this US Women's National Team, things that you're looking to get some answers for starting with this tournament as as this year progresses?
1: So, you know how like a lot of the players were able to rest, especially like older players. I, I was thinking about this because about that Brianna Scurry story. She was saying in 20, 2007, I think she said it was 2007 when Abby rose up and it was at like the end of a lot of other careers on her camera. Was that 2004 or 2007? Oh, four. Oh, four. So that was like the beginning of her career and, or like the, her breakout moment. And then mm. um, the end of a lot of careers. And, but she was happy about, like, she just was very happy to see Abby shine. But I'm interested if that's, this is that kind of year too. And how, I'm interested, That's something that just sticks out to me. Who is going to make the team, but also is this going to be the last year? And is someone going to this book is this going to become someone's star moment in that same way um also i'm interested in who makes the team in particular the way that like is casey well kruger now you know how i'm just interested in who returns with the coaching change who returns who leaves i'm very fascinated by this also in terms of, like, she believes... I'm very interested in Canada because mm-hmm. they went through a coaching change and
0: mm-hmm.
1: I am a big... I love Ashley Lawrence and Michelle Prince. And Khadija Buchanan's cool, but Leon, I have feelings about Leon. They're like the Lakers. But I'm very interested to see what Canada does because I feel like they have so much talent... Jesse Fleming, too. They have so much talent. I really want them. And Brazil. I'm just, oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) I'm just so excited to see. I'm one of those people. I only cheer for the U.S. when it's like women's sports, women's track, women's basketball, women's soccer. But I really am excited to see what other teams kind of finally claw away at the U.S.'s lead in women's sports. That's going to be very exciting. Aren't you excited? (laughs)
0: I am. I am. I mean, like we had uh, Pia Sunhaga on the show a couple of weeks ago, coach of the Brazil women's national team. And obviously she and I knew each other from her days coaching the U.S. And it was just really interesting to get her perspective because she's always unvarnished about what she sees out there. And, um, you know, for her, it was about trying to find a new generation of players in Brazil to, to come in and help Marta and Formiga, who's in her mid-40s now, to like to to try and challenge the US and and that's what other countries are are trying to do too. So yeah, I am looking forward to to this tournament. And and the fact that like the Olympic roster is only 18 players. So there's gonna be it's a harder choice of cuts to make for Vlad Komandinovsky. And will will this be the end of Megan Rapinoe's career or Carly Lloyd's career, or is there a chance that they may be on the bubble to make this roster? I I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And and this tournament I think feels like the start of that in a a pretty significant way. Um, Are there any other kind of stories you're seeing out there that you'd like to write more about moving forward? I think one thing I'm very interested
1: in writing There's two, actually. One I mentioned, and another thing about the Black Sportswoman, I don't want to be the only one to write the story. So, like, I'm okay with, like, I gave someone an idea, and that story's going to be in the New York Times. And I'm like, this is what I want, because the goal is to get everyone writing about these people. Um, But the two stories, one is about, like, the stereotypes and kind of, like, how we got here and why Black women athletes aren't covered and when they are covered, why they face so many type stereotypes to kind of like acknowledge the problem in the first place? Kind of like I'm not here for no reason. And then the other one is about just a national team and like wearing Team USA and representing America and the complications with that. And I have that's another thing where I just interviewed people because you know what's so great? People's opinions or thoughts, like my assumptions of what people would say, are so much different than what they actually think because it's really Mm -hmm. about playing at the highest level for a lot of people and like one person didn't even think about this before i asked and so i really like i really i think that's fascinating but that's another thing i'm just like very passionate about not doing opinion pieces
0: (laughs) it's interesting though because you're right like you shouldn't assume like that someone's gonna just say something and that's why you ask the questions and that's why you do the journalism which that makes a lot of good sense Uh, Bria Felicien is the Atlanta-based creator of the Black Sportswoman newsletter. She's also the managing editor of The Next, a women's basketball newsroom, and she has written about women's soccer for the Equalizer 538, SB Nation, and the Black Sportswoman. Bria, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is fun.
0: Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Bria Felicien, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.